0: the first time. Let's hear it for all our guests and our visitors. We just want to welcome you. It's great to see you. You have come to a very unusual church as you take your seats. We are a church, the most multicultural church in Birmingham and in the West Midlands congregation and also one of the most in the country. We have 65 different nations that worship together here every week. Isn't that amazing church? That's worth giving the Lord praise for. All come together in harmony, in peace around the living Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that great uh, on an Easter day? Because I want to say this to you Christ is risen. You know what? I can tell that you're not from all the traditions. Because when I say Christ is risen, you're supposed to say Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen Amen. <laughs> oh, I don't know about you. Have you get behind the story of Easter in fact I want us to you know we make some high declarations and we just have made a declaration but I want us to dig around the back of it and bring an understanding about what it might mean personally for you I don't know about you but I've got uh, my TV at home I had to go behind it the other day and sort out all the wires uh, on it. You know, it's like spaghetti junction back there. And uh, it just looked a mess. In fact, this is how bad I am, I'm so shallow sometimes. I said, "Cathy, we're gonna have to change this TV. It looks terrible. And actually, when I got behind there, tightened up all the wires, made and plugged all the wires again, and then got some cable tie and pulled it all together. It looked so much neater. I'm thinking, oh, I don't need a new TV. Today, I want you to tidy up all the wires in your thinking and begin to understand more what God has for you in Easter. Are you with me? Do you want to come on a journey with me together? If you've got a Bible, uh, then turn to Galatians chapter 4 and we'll read verse 4. It's a verse we often use uh, at Christmas, but it reads like this. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, or those who were trying to be good by their own effort, to buy them back, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now, just let me pause here. This word sonship doesn't just apply to the males in the house. The word sonship is a technical term that applies both to men, women, boys and girls, that if you've accepted Jesus, you can have the legal rights to be in the family. So that you might receive adoption to have all the legal rights to be a part of the family, or sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters. God sent the Spirit of His Son, where? Into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are His child, God has also made you an heir. I just want you to notice something. I want you to notice that Jesus did not just come to earth, that he was sent. He was sent on a mission with a purpose. And before we get into that, as I said earlier, let's get behind this message of Easter and, and go down a few levels to begin to understand what it might mean for us personally. I want to ask you two questions, because these two questions will help frame what Uh, What the kind of meaning of Easter might be for us. First of all Where would you most ideally love to live? Now, not that we want to dismiss it, but just to get all the riots in Paris for a moment Wouldn't you like a nice flat on the Champs-Élysées Yeah, or or my wife does. Or would you like a ranch in Texas? Or would you like a country cottage in the lakes? Or or would you like a, a house by the beach? Yeah. Yeah. Which island? Yeah. Can't come back to me, by the way. Don't, don't drift off there. You know, you want to listen to the rest of the message. You know, I wonder where would be your ideal home? Second question. Have you ever asked yourself when you're doing something... Some of you are still talking about the first question. And Come back to me. Have you ever asked yourself... When you're doing something, is this really worth it? Do you ever get halfway through something and then think to yourself, is this really worth it, buying something? And you think, I don't know whether this is going to be worth it. Or or perhaps if you have a difficult work situation, you think, I don't know whether it's really worth this. I can tell you, uh, you know, halfway to the Philippines, sometimes when we do our mission there, God bless you, the people in the Philippines, it's worth it when you get there. But halfway, you're thinking, oh, golly, this is a long way. Is this really worth it? These two questions frame some of the truth of how we can understand the nature of what God is trying to do and what it's like at Easter. Let me deal with the second one first. Jesus went through all that he went through for a specific purpose. The cross, the agony, the betrayal, the disappointment, the explosion and the mystery of the resurrection. Was it all worth it? I mean, all these songs and declarations. He wants to say, I think so. It's worth it because he redeems us so that we might, now get this, receive adoption to sonship. That's his goal. He says, all of this is worth it because I'm trying to put you, adopt you, bring you into my family. Yeah, he forgives our sin. Yes, he does. Yes, he prepares a place for us in heaven. Yes, he does. Yes, you will have a purpose in God. But don't miss this. Don't miss that he went through what he went through to make you as much a part of his family as he is. To adopt you into his family. Jesus was a son by nature. We are sons and daughters by adoption, but for him, he makes no difference. He begins to say, you're adopted in, but I make you a co-heir or inheritance of everything I've got with me. He did that because he thinks you're worth it. Now, I know there's a shampoo that, you know, you click through your hair and say, because you're worth it, and that cheapens it. But listen, you're worth it. You're worth it. Let it just seep over to you just for a moment. He thinks that all that he did, and he thinks getting you into his family means you're worth it. Can I hear an amen for anybody? You're like sitting there going, mm, not sure, Pastor. You know, you've seen this illustration, haven't you? Many of you have even done this, you know. Here's a fifty pound note. I've, I've hardly ever seen one of these. I mean, you are so used to them, uh, you know. But if I if I get this fifty pound note and I and I scrunch it up and and you know, is it still the same value, even though it's crinkled and wrinkled and not looking as pretty as it as it was when it first began? Is it still the same value, everyone? No. Come on, talk to me today. And if I if I went if I went. Spit. Sorry for spitting in church. Is it the same value? Yes. If I went down to Saint Paul and just put it on and rock it around a bit and just really chunk it down, is it the same value? Yes. Does it still? Is it still something you think I want that? Yes. Something you said? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm just going to say no, thanks. <laughs> now. Some of you are from countries where you have much bigger snakes than mine, okay? Don't worry, it's not real. But this is what Jesus did. Some of you weren't worried at all, were you? That's just me being dramatic. If this was a real snake and it coiled its way around this this note that's crinkled, but yet still the same value, And this is the thing. This is a snake that was real and every time you went for the note, there's no exceptions. It would bite you and the poison would be fatal and you would die. Those are the rules of this game. Now there's one or two of you in the house who go, I'll take those odds. (laughs) One or two of you are like Bear Grylls type people. And if you're watching there you're crazy. <laughs> but most of you would say, well if it is that to get this 50 pound note, I would have to put my hand close to it and it would always bite and it would always poison and it would always kill me. You would say, yeah, no thanks. As I say, there'll be one or two of you who will. But you would die. And still, even though I've said that, one or two of you would go, I still have a go. I still have a go. Jesus thinks that you're so worth it that he put his hand in the bag, got bitten, got bitten, got bitten, got bitten, so that he can still pull you out of everything that you've been through. And that's why the Bible says Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God that gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. When death stung Jesus, it stung itself to death. That's because he thinks you're worth it. You see, in answering the question, are you worth it, heaven comes back with a resounding, yes, you are. Let me go back to my first question. Where's your ideal place to live? The spiritual people amongst you said, oh, heaven. The normal people amongst you perhaps have had another ideal place. But you know, if I ask that question to the Holy Spirit, if I said, where is your ideal place to live? The Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit is sent to be resident and live in our hearts. But actually, to understand Easter, you have to understand the cross. You have to understand the death and the resurrection. But understand this third part that Jesus ascending to heaven sends his Holy Spirit, but not just on the earth generally, sends the Holy Spirit to live in your heart. And you have to open your heart and say yes to Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit says, my ideal home is in your heart. Now his home And he makes his home theirs because he wants to connect with you. He wants to convince you that God is not a cruel master. That he's actually a loving heavenly father. And he wants to make that connection with you. Romans chapter 8 verse 15, similar to Galatians 4, says this. The spirit you received does not make you slaves again so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him, we cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit wants to live deeply in your heart so that you can have intimate connection with God. Abba was a term of endearment when somebody felt close enough to their father to say, You're my father. It was a close connection. The Spirit wants to get you to the place where God isn't a distant hero or a, or a taskmaster. He wants to create in you this sense of, you're my Father and I belong to your family. And because God has done all of this through the cross, through the resurrection, through the ascension, everything necessary for your adoption, The Holy Spirit is sent in our hearts to make this person of Jesus and to make God and to make the Father real to us. That all those declarations that we've been singing about become not just declarations. They become something that we feel and experience and walk in and live in. You know, I've done lots of marriages. Uh, I'm sorry, I've only been married once to make that clear. But as a minister, I've done lots of marriages. And in, one of the things I do is always have a kiss the bride moment right at the end of the service. Some people do it in the middle, and, and if people do it in the middle, then that's fine. And I always do too. then. So, hey, come and get married with me. At least you get to kiss her twice, okay? <laughs> but they come and they've got a dress and everything, and, it, and it's all, all stuff. Done, but then you know they say the vows, these important things, and they they really mean them. They look at in each other's eyes, and and uh, I'm taking you back somewhere for some of you. And, you know and they exchange rings and they do all of that, and then they go over to the register and they sign the register. It's lovely photographs, family, bridesmaids all around. And they go over and sign the register, and then they come back, and at the end we say, "You may kiss your bride," and at that moment. The husband and the bride, they kiss and they feel everything that they prepared, prepared for and said. In fact, with one wedding, uh, uh, they were like, kind of kissing so long, I was thinking, eee, this is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> we didn't want to really pull them apart on their wedding day, but we didn't really want it to go any further than it went. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your heart so that you have a kiss the bride moment. So that you feel the things that you've said. So that you experience some of the things you said. And I just want to minister to some Christians here today. It's been a long time since you've had a kiss the bride moment. You're doing the right thing, you're living dutifully, you're doing good things, you're a good person. But you need to sense the presence of God, where He connects you and where you say, Abba, Father. See, being in God's family will, and Easter will make you live different. In fact, Easter and the resurrection and the living Lord Jesus changes the way we live. The Holy Spirit ministry amongst us presses into our hearts that... That we're adopted and so we sort of start changing. But one of the real important things that the Holy Spirit wants to do. Is to fight the creeping fear that is often in all of us. In fact, the Bible describes it like this. That you've received a spirit that does not make you a slave again. And the assumption of the Bible is that often our lives are wrapped around with, with a sense of slavery. And... And when we as Christians, we talk about slavery, although can I just say, we talk about slavery as if it's not an issue. But it's the biggest issue that we, one of the biggest issues that we have today. And we must break it, church. We must pray and we must act about some of the slaves in our own city. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now for some of us, we think the, the issue of slavery is gone or we think it's kind of medieval language. And we don't think of ourselves as slaves. But let me put it to you this way. The Bible actually says, I want to remove the spirit of fear that causes you to be a slave. And when you say something like this, I will be acceptable when when I get that. You fill in the blank of that, house, car, career, anything. Or I will be welcomed And I will be acceptable when I'm welcomed by them. Fill in the blank in your life. Family, workmates, that friend, that person, that acceptance group, sometimes that church. I'll be welcomed by that or them. That can turn into slavery for you. The Holy Spirit wants to make sure that you serve and that you live from the right motivation and that thing that drives you, that thing that sometimes causes you to fear that you're out, that, that thing that kind of mitigates against your mindset where you say to yourself, you know, unless I get that, unless I am that, unless they say that fear, the Holy Spirit wants to press against that and to release you from it. And this is the back end of Easter. This is the wires behind the TV set. You can say, oh, Jesus is alive, and we can clap and scream and shout. But what about the Holy Spirit ministering deeply into your spirit that you're His child. Stop chasing after the things you've been chasing after. Can you hear amen, church? That fear that sometimes drives us, and that tendency to act like slaves. The Holy Spirit wants to heal this. I don't know how many people you work with at work, and you think, hmm, they're not free. They're driven. And often this expresses itself in two types of slaves that we... There could be some people who are, if I could put it this way, they're, they're slaves to the distraction of sin. Or the distraction of doing the wrong things. They're they're afraid that they won't get that or be accepted by them. So they do more things that actually hurt them in order to get that acceptance. It's like the younger son in the parable that we talked about last week. You know, the, the, the older son and the younger son. And one asks for his inheritance. And he runs further into wild living or distracted living. The Bible actually says and makes it clear that anything that you obey can become your master. So today, can I just simply ask you, on this Resurrection Sunday, when we're shouting and praising, just for a moment, who is driving you, leading you, pulling you Motivating you. Is that the right motivation? See, Jesus' half-brother James put it like this. He said that, look, sin isn't just one thing that you do. And can I just mention the word sin today unapologetically or wrongdoing? That's not just one thing that you do. James puts it like that it's like a process that happens to us. Each person's tempted when they're dragged away. by their, uh, Firstly, their own desire entices them. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin grows, it, it traps you and puts you in death. Look, look, this is the process. Slavery is, first of all, you get enticed by something. You get, look, you need this, you need this. Have this, have this. You need this. It's a bit like in the Garden of Eden. It's really interesting to me that that the enemy says to Eve, eat this. It looks good. Eat this. Two thousand years later, when Jesus is cutting back first, eat this right, he breaks a simple meal open and with bread and wine he says, eat this. Let me undo that. But you see, sin comes when you are attracted to something and then you get entangled with it. You you start thinking, I'm dependent on it, I need that. You think you can't do without it and then comes an entrapment, it's a spiritual death. Enticement, entanglement, entrapment, desire, dependency and then death. That's how it works. But the Holy Spirit, pressed into your heart, allowed and invited into your heart, can break that process so that you can be free. And one of my responsibilities today, and I feel the weight of this responsibility, is to say to you on this day, invite the Holy Spirit to break the things that are actually entrapping you, because they will lead to a death. Amen, church. Another type of slave that we often see in it, and it kind of applies to Christians more, is the second type of slave is that people who are trying to make themselves good. Mind you, there's lots of people in our culture that say, Oh, I've never hurt anybody. What a great claim. What have you ever done for anybody? Oh, I don't hurt people. Well, well done. Did you ever bless anybody? Did you ever build anybody up? Did you ever go out of your way to help them? And in our culture, and sometimes Christians, we say, I'm just a good person and I do try my best. But it's a type of slavery when you try to do good and make yourself good without relying on Jesus to transform you to be good. When you think that it's You earn God's acceptance or it's enough for you to be so performance orientated. Now listen, I'm not against you trying your best and and helping and, and putting in effort. That's not what I'm saying. But some people fear that unless they are trying, that's the only way they can be accepted. Some people... Operate all the time from a striving. It's like last week when we talked about the parable of the younger brother who ran away, but the older brother who stays says, I've been slaving for you all this time. Even though he was in the family, he was a slave. How about you today, Christian? You're here in the church, but really how free are you? Who are you trying to keep up with? How many chapters of the Bible do you have to read before you think you're accepted? You see, what the Bible says and what the Holy Spirit wants you to do is sure, pursue holiness. Sure, be a great person. But seek to live from the right place. Not to earn God's love, but to operate from a place of already God loves me. Instead of trying to keep climbing up a ladder, here's a confession for you to make. Why don't you admit and say, well, God, in you, I'm already at the top of the ladder. You love me. Now, that doesn't mean to say you won't try. That doesn't mean to say you won't have to have effort. But what it means is you're operating from the fact that God already loves me. And I'm not slavishly trying to earn it. I just have to receive it and my word to you on this easter day is come on open up to the father's love the holy spirit wants to breathe into your heart abba open your heart to the fact that he loves you he wants you to understand that you're already a son or a daughter, if you've accepted Jesus. If you accept Jesus today, God stops being a cruel master or a strange mystery, but it becomes a loving, heavenly father. There are always people trying to climb a ladder. They're a bit intimidating. But you need to just say, well, I'm accepted as far as your love goes, Lord. Let's break this type of slavery where we're trying to live by impressing God. All over this nation, maybe in this city even, there'll be churches and that people will judge them how they show up, whether they're dressed right or not. That's never been God's plan. In fact, we all need a revelation more of the Father's love for you. He loves you. He wants to say to you what he said to the older brother last week. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Just close your eyes for a moment and hear it again from God. Everything I have is yours. On this Easter day, could you make room for the love of God? And if you're going to break this idea of slavery, we need to make room for the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We need to make room for the Holy Spirit that teaches you you're no longer under condemnation. The Holy Spirit wants to release you from that perfectionistic self-effort and motivate you. Yeah, to do great things and to live high, but from the right motivation, from, from flowing in Him rather than striving in you. The Holy Spirit wants to govern your mind so that your mind gives you life thoughts rather than cruel thoughts. The Holy Spirit wants to push back those sinful tendencies that that sometimes create in us to do the wrong thing. But He actually wants to create in you a desire to do the right thing. It's the Holy Spirit that we need more of. I know we're going to celebrate Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, but can I introduce you to the often forgotten third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of Jesus who comes into our hearts and says, Abba, Father, let me connect you to God personally. And so, as well as seeing more of the love of the Father, can I just simply ask you on this day... Let the Holy Spirit in and make more room for him. Can you simply say, push back the fear of rejection? that people won't like me if they knew me kind of thing. Holy Spirit, can you break that legalism? Satan always wants you to be legalistic. You're not just adopted, you're an heir. That's right. You have everything that Jesus had. In fact, Romans says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Right. An outstanding truth of Easter is that you get what Jesus got as far as status is concerned. You know, some of some of you may be adopted, and you may have legal papers to show that, that you have the same rights as the natural children, but it is certainly true about Easter, that Jesus didn't only pay for your sin, he didn't only say, hey, there's the way to heaven, but he elevated you to be a co-heir with himself. That actually, you've got a place in heaven, you've got a place in the kingdom, all of that's great, but Jesus isn't only your Lord, he's your brother. Hey, let me tell you that again, Jesus is not only your Lord, he's your brother. Your status is the same as him because he says, hey come and be part of my family and so much do I want you to be that I'm going to send my spirit into your heart to convince you that God wants you to be close to him and as you make room for him, you will realise he's your brother and he's with you right now. This is also the Easter story. We had a brilliant service on Friday and we talked about Barabbas. The Barabbas, the the insurrector who was set free when Jesus was then condemned. Barabbas means son of the father. And Barabbas, the false son, was released so that the true son, Jesus, could take your place the broken sons and daughters, so that you could become sons and daughters of the Father. Let me close with this, and many of you would have heard this story, and maybe the choir, you could just come, and, but focus on what I'm saying. There's a man one time, and him and his son loved each other deeply, And they loved art. And they went around the world collecting priceless art. You know, Fabergé eggs and Renoir paintings and all sorts of things. Sculptures. And they amassed a great collection. And and war broke out. During the the Second World War, war broke out and the son was called off to... ...to fight on the battlefield. In a few weeks, the fears of the father came true in the... ...what happened was, is they got a letter saying the son was missing in action. And even though he was worried, he kind of just hoped to get hope. But then came that day when it was confirmed that his son had died in the war. But he died in this way. He died whilst trying to rescue a friend and carry him across the battlefield. The father was completely distraught and for months just kind of stared into the dark. On Christmas Day, as he kind of sat on it alone, not really wanting to do Christmas, there was a knock on the door. And a man, a young man at the door said, I'm the man who your son rescued and a parcel under his arm and he said, he carried me across the battlefield, and from my memory of him, I am an artist actually, and I've painted quite a striking likeness of your son, and he painted a portrait of the son who was lost in battle. And the father looked at that, and he hung it over his fireplace, and for the rest of Christmas and I began to warm and, and look at them, gazed into the sun and, and it gave him some comfort. A few months later, wasn't many months later, the father himself died. And on the following Christmas day, was a famous art auction. And many people forgo their Christmas celebrations because they knew that the auction had things in it that were priceless. And so as the first, as the crowd assembled, the first lot came up and it was the portrait that the friend had painted of the sun. And the auctioneer said, will anybody give me a hundred pounds for this? And the room was silent. In fact, there was a few mumbles in the background saying, Oh, when are we going to get on to the real stuff? You know, I've come for the Fabergé egg. I've come for the Remoir painting. I've, I've come for the, the Michelangelo. I've come for the, all the more important things. Did anybody give me 100 pounds for the son? And, and there's a guy at the back who said, Well, I kind of knew the family, so I'll give you 50 pounds. Any advance on 50 pounds? Any advance on 50 pounds? You know, and today, you might have someone knocking at your heart saying, will you take the son? Anyway, there was no advance on 50 pounds and so, it said, "Sold to the man at the back and then the auctioneer folded the booklet and said, and ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our auction. There was a bit of an uproar saying, well, we've come for everything else. He said, the father changed his will to say this. Whoever gets the son gets everything else and gets it all. Let me say that one more time. If you get the son, you get everything else. Please stand to your feet with me. In fact, I'm going to say it one more time. Whoever gets the sun gets everything else Come on let's give the Lord a hand cup of praise